This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our focus, contemporary spirituality. Our guest today, Miss Rachel Zinman, uh, who is uh, in Australia as we speak. Uh, Phil is in Los Angeles and I'm in Iowa. So through the miracle of modern technology, we can do a podcast with people in three parts of the world. Uh, Rachel has been teaching yoga and uh, passionately practicing it uh, for 30 years. And uh, she's also a person and the only person I know who has an expertise in uh, yoga and uh, how it can be used for those that are diabetic. So, uh, Rachel, welcome to the show, and thank you so very much for taking the time to come on today. Oh, it's just absolutely wonderful to be here. Rachel, um, we want to right off the bat uh, mention your forthcoming book uh, before uh, we forget, but it's it's going to be called uh, Yoga for Diabetes or Diabetics, which... Well- it's Yoga for Diabetes, How to Manage Your Health with Yoga and Ayurveda, and it's coming out with Monkfish Publishing October 10th, 2017 in the States. Okay, so if you're listening to this before that date, go ahead and pre-order it, and if you're listening after that date, um, go buy it. <laughs> so uh, tell us, um, we were intrigued when we uh, heard about your work by the specialty uh, in diabetes. Um, And so first, uh, give us a little background, how you came to yoga, how um, you uh, ended up specializing in uh, in working with diabetics. Well, I was um, a dancer from a young age, and I got into yoga when I was about 17 in high school. And then from there, I was using yoga to help me with, you know, injuries in dance, and I became a professional dancer. And the more I got into yoga, the more interested I became, not only in the physical side, but very much in the esoteric side of yoga, you know, studying the uh, complementary philosophies like Vedanta, like Sankhya, Tantra. And I ended up through a series of amazing circumstances in New York City, because I actually started, did the majority of my yoga study in Australia, even though I'm American. Um, But I lived in Australia from when I was 18. And then I eventually ended up in New York in 2000, and I uh, found a mentor there. His name was Alan Finger, and he introduced me to um, the deeper aspects of yoga as well as Ayurveda. And while I was in New York, um, I was in 9-11, and as we all know, that was an incredibly stressful time. I was actually at the yoga studio. I was, um, you know, the, the planes were hitting the towers, the sirens were screaming up and down the avenues, and I was sort of there with about 40 other people, and we were leading a, a meditation to try and calm everybody down. And the shock of that event really stayed with me for for quite a while. And I started to experience, uh, through my yoga practice, a lot of very strange symptoms. I started to kind of have a lot of nervous system symptoms, and a lot of things were going on. And I I really didn't know what it was. Um, And I, I guess I kind of assumed it was some sort of spiritual awakening because it was just such a strong physical, mental, emotional experience that I was having. And then... 
I started searching more and looking for answers, not just to my physical problems, but also to other things that I was experiencing. And then eventually, I found out that actually what I had was type 1 diabetes. So I was diagnosed with type 1 at the age of 42 after over 25 years of a yoga practice. And I actually refused to believe that I was had that diagnosis. And um, I continued my search for answers. And I came across Ayurveda. And then eventually I realized um, that really when you have type 1 diabetes, there is no... Um, there is no known cause, there is no known cure. And so um, I then had to face the fact that maybe the yoga physically couldn't cure me and that the yoga that I'd been practicing all those years had actually supported me um, to, you know, go through this very slow onset. So it took almost uh, eight to 10 years for me to become fully um, diabetic. Uh, let me, uh, Rachel, as I, we talked before you came on the air, I have a family member that's type 1 diabetic, and something they used to call childhood diabetes, but uh, now you have more people that have what's called what you had, uh, and that is uh, adult onset uh, uh, type 1 diabetes. Uh, most people, 90% of people in America that have diabetes are type 2. So when you talk to people about diabetes, they assume you're talking about that, when actually type 1 is something uh, very, very different. Uh, tell us a little bit about the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, so um, type 2 diabetes is very much about the body produces some insulin, but due to um, diet, lifestyle, and genetics, the body um, actually resists the insulin that it's producing. So the insulin is trying to get into the cells to help to reduce the blood sugar um, and to bring energy into the cells but the body's, um, for some reason, due to inflammation, due to, um, you know, just stress or whatever, it pushes the insulin away. Whereas type 1 is that there's, for some reason, the um, body attacks the beta, um, the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas, which are called beta cells. So eventually those beta cells collapse and no longer produce insulin. So one they say is a lifestyle disease and the other is um, completely uh, an unknown anomaly. They say it can be a few factors that can cause type 1. Stress um, is a big one. Genetics plays another part. And now they're, um, they're saying basically it can happen at any age. So it's not just... Um, doesn't just happen to children. It happens to anyone, you know, who has the genetic predisposition mm -hmm. and um, whose, you know, immune system is attacking those beta cells. All right. And if I could just follow up, and, and, and so that's type 1 as opposed to type 2. But uh, I assume that both type 1 and type 2 uh, uh, can be managed. And, and I should say, from my own experience, and I know a lot of people that are type 1, they live very full lives. They live very long lives now. Uh, they can do anything anybody else can do as long as they're managing it properly with insulin and, and lifestyle. And, and tell us how uh, yoga uh, fits in for that, uh, for you and for others. Well, that's, that's where yoga is just so amazing because, um, you know, yoga is a, a physical system that works 
On many, many levels. I mean, just on the surface, we could say, oh, well, you know, yoga reduces stress. Stress is one of the biggest components in a life with managing diabetes because you're dealing with emotional issues. In other words, people get, um, they get burnt out because they're trying so hard to manage unstable blood sugar, unstable blood sugar levels. Um, it can also be that um, they're, they're dealing with highs and lows. So when your blood sugar goes really high, it's really exhausting. When your blood sugar goes really low, it can be really destabilizing. You know, you can, you can get very, very disoriented. So um, there's also just the stress of all the things that you have to keep in mind. You have to be able to count carbohydrates. You have to know, you have to manage your diet. You have to keep up with, you know, this exercise because exercise helps to increase your sensitivity to, sensitivity to the insulin that you're producing, but also the insulin um, that you're injecting. So, you know, one of the big things that it does through breathing and through mo movement and through focus concentration is to reduce your stress. But it also helps to increase your sensitivity to insulin so that you can uptake the insulin that you are injecting or producing because you're, you know, activating the muscles and muscles are, you know, crucial in helping, you know, you to burn up glucose. Yoga improves your sleep. I mean, often, you know, you're waking up all hours of the night because you're either nervous about your blood sugar dropping or you're just not feeling great. Yoga improves your circulation, which really helps with all the circulation issues, you know, that you have when you're um, living with diabetes. It oxygenates the blood. It improves your mood. It improves your digestion. Uh -huh. um, there's just so <laughs> many wonderful benefits. Phil? Uh, Rachel, um, how did you come to oh, – well, let me back up a second. Do you have a specific protocol, yogic protocol, for people with diabetes, or is it something you, um, you work out individually? Um, and how did you come uh, to, to develop it? Well, there is a very specific protocol because um, – Ayurveda, which is the sister science to yoga, has been treating diabetes for over 5,000 years. And they see it similar to the Western perspective that it's either um, curable, incurable, or manageable. But it's based very much on your individual constitution. So Ayurveda looks at the five elements and the balance of elements in your system. So when I was studying Ayurveda and learning about Ayurveda, I realized, look, you know, some people who have a very light, thin frame, you know, they're living with type 1 and they're dropping low all the time. Um, you know, they're very uh, sensitive to the insulin that they're injecting. They might still be producing a little bit of insulin if it's an adult onset. They need a very different yoga practice to someone who's... Um, uh, has a more fiery constitution, is um, what we call a blood sugar burner, um, who's a perfectionist, to someone else who might have more of a type 2 um, constitution where they're a little bit heavier, their bones are a bit heavier, they need more stimulation. So what we do in Ayurveda is we factor in that individual constitution and say, you know what, it's, yoga is not one size fits all, especially when it comes to diabetes. 
So depending on the, the mix of elements, whether you're more air and space, whether you're more fire, or whether you're more water and earth, you need a certain type of practice. And so that's what I've really worked on mm-hmm. in the book is to um, give people the opportunity to assess themselves through a questionnaire, then to look at the type of diabetes they have and then find the appropriate breathing practice, the appropriate um, meditation practice and the appropriate physical postural practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel, uh, you mentioned before that when you were in New York City uh, during 9-11, uh, you were leading a group of people in meditation uh, to calm people down. Is there a specific type of meditation that you practice and that you teach along with your yoga? Yes. Um, well, it's very much in the lineage that I that I studied with, which is um, Ishta Yoga. And it's a very simple meditation practice where you're just breathing, visualizing energy flowing from the base of the spine right up to the crown of the head. And then as you exhale, visualizing the breath flowing from the crown of the head all the way down to the base of the spine. And then there's a beautiful, simple mantra that you practice as well. I mean, it's a a very um, well-known mantra for people who do yoga, which is breathing in the sound so and breathing out the sound hum. And when you do that, it really calms the nervous system down. It focuses the mind. And um, again, you know, brings everything into balance, which, as I said, is just so um, powerful for people living with diabetes Mm -hmm. because... You know, that's the biggest issue really is that we just go out of balance continually and we're constantly trying to bring ourselves back into balance. Um, Rachel, you mentioned Ishta Yoga. Um, Mm -hmm. Please uh, define and uh, explain uh, where that comes from for our listeners. Okay, so Ishta Yoga is the integrated science of Hatha, Tantra, and Ayurveda. And it was uh, born in South Africa with a man named Manny Finger and his son, Alan Finger, has brought it to the United States. Um, There's a studio in New York City. And the whole idea with Ishta is that it brings in um, the philosophy of Tantra, which is that, you know, whatever it is that we fall on, we use that to lift ourselves back up. So like if you fall on the floor, you would push yourself off the floor to, you know, with your own body to lift yourself back up. So we use the body to free the body. We use the breath to free ourselves from the limitations of the breath. And we use the mind to free ourselves from the limitation of our thoughts. And then um, with Ayurveda, as I said, it's all about finding the right practice that suits you as an individual. Mm -hmm. Rachel, uh Beyond uh, the treatment of uh, diabetes with yoga, uh, yoga for diabetes, uh, is there a a goal uh, from yoga uh, that you have toward a a higher state of consciousness, toward a state of enlightenment, and in your system of yoga, uh, that they specifically uh, uh, describe uh, that uh, state of enlightenment? Well, yoga, even the word yoga means oneness. So... For me, in my own understanding of yoga, and especially from the perspective of of my own studies in Advaita Vedanta, is that everything is already whole, everything is already complete. And yoga is, the physical practice is the reminder of what we already are. And any, um, you know, the, the whole 
understanding of yoga, you know, nowadays in the West, it's like you do these physical practices and then you're going to reach some goal out there. But actually, you are already the goal. You know, you are the you are the yoga itself. You are the, the practice of yoga. You are the, you know, destination of yoga. It's all you. And so, um, yeah, so when we do the practices in yoga, it's the reminder. You know, once the mind is prepared, once the mind has kind of understood that, you know, that you are that wholeness that you seek, then the yoga practices remind you of that experience. Rachel, in your, um, on your website, in the bio information, I saw the name of Swami Dayananda. Yes. Um, if it's the same Swami Dayananda who passed a year or two ago. Yes, it is. Um, I had the honor of having dinner with him in Bangalore several years ago when, when we were both there. Uh, and at that time, and I had always admired him. And um, at that time, he was ailing and... Um, People were massaging his feet, and I was told he had diabetes. Yes. And so my question <laughs> is, my question is, um, if you studied with him, and he was a wonderful man and a great exponent of Advaita Vedanta, um, did you um, discuss or uh, his diabetes and yours uh, with him, and how much did he influence your, your, your life and your work? Well, it's beautiful you asked that question because actually personally I haven't I haven't met Dayananda because I've studied with one of Dayananda's teachers. But I did on the uh, course that I did with um, one of Dayananda's um, you know students, um, I asked him about my situation with diabetes, and he reminded me that many people live with diabetes, including his teacher, Swami Dayananda. Mm. And he said to me, you know, you, you've got to surrender because the body is just going to do what the body does. And, you know, you are not the body. You are not the thoughts that you're having about the body either, you know. And so whatever you choose to do, because at that point, I wasn't actually willing to take insulin. I was still pretty much saying, you know, it's type two. I'm going to cure myself with yoga. And he kind of sat me down and said, look, you know, whatever you do, the body's going to need help and you've got to give the body whatever it needs, and, but it will never affect you, you know, because you are eternal. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, it really helped me at the time, you know, it really, it gave me a completely different perspective, um, especially in how to manage my thoughts, which is very much coming from that lineage of Dayananda, you know, because it's the thoughts about our chronic condition which become the problem, our identification with the thoughts, and ultimately asking that question, you know, who is having these thoughts, who is getting lost in these thoughts, um, and when you recognize who, then everything kind of falls away, and you can really live with the disease as it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, and I, I really um, admire people like you know, Dayananda, because I could just see, um, he just lived with the disease regardless and he kept going, you know, it wasn't like he didn't get caught up in a minutia of it. It was just a thing that he had, but it wasn't who he was. Right. Uh, Rachel, what, explain to us 
uh, give us detail of what your daily routine is like. All right. So I get up in the morning and I do my yoga practice. I have a very strong, um, specific Kriya breathing practice where I work a lot on detoxification because when you take insulin, obviously it's a mm -hmm. medication. So there are, it are some toxicities to that medication in terms of there's not just insulin, but there's fillers in the insulin. So I work with uh, my breath. Then um, when I finish that routine, I usually have, um, you know, a very s a simple low-carb breakfast. Um, I manage my health also by staying as low-carb as I can. So I just usually have some eggs and some avocado and some sauerkraut. And then I head into my day. Um, I either am teaching during the day, doing private sessions or working with teachers so it's quite a, a full day or I'm writing because I'm also um, working on another book and, you know, writing for different blogs and then do my lunch, have, you know, my, my afternoon, usually I have a rest in the afternoon and then I do another practice, which is a physical asana practice and I do a very set sequence, which is designed again to purify and detoxify the system. It's a, a sort of an it's equivalent to an alternate nostril breath, but it's happening in the body. And um, my partner is actually also a yoga teacher, so I've, I've learned the sequence from him. And I've been doing that religiously every day um, since we met, which was about seven years ago. Um, so I do that and then have my dinner and have a very simple um, evening, usually make sure that I finish the day with some gratitude, start the day with gratitude, finish the day with gratitude for being blessedly alive and able to share everything that I love. And then I try and go to bed before 10 o'clock every night. So I wake up before the sunrise, and which is very much an Ayurvedic principle, mm -hmm. and then have my biggest meal always at lunch. I try to eat as Ayurvedically as I can with that low-carb diet. And then also, you know, go to bed before um, before ten o'clock and do my best to sleep through the night. <laughs> so, so if Great you want if you want to wake up before dawn, then you're wise to be in Australia this time of year, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then come to the, our hemisphere uh, at the other time of year. Right. So it's always dark. When you, uh, <laughs> right. by, the, by the way, it's 10, 1030 where I am now, p.m. So, yeah, right. So, so you're still awake. Not, yeah. not very good for your constitution. Are you yeah, right. great, now, so, uh, Rachel, great, let me, ask, let me uh, ask you this. Now, um, a lot of yogis are vegetarian or, mm -hmm. ve or vegan. Mm. Diabetics are often told it's very important to eat uh, high pr more protein than mm. otherwise would to keep the blood sugar uh, uh, stable. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have low blood sugar, and I had to stop being a vegetarian because um, I needed the uh, more protein, and it was a, made a big difference in, in my uh, physiology right at the start. So do you run into that, and what does Ayurveda, uh, with respect to diabetes, um, have to say about uh, food and diet? Well, that's a great question. And again, it's just such an individual thing because, um, of course, I've been doing yoga my whole life and I was vegetarian and sometimes vegan. And, 
And actually, it was to my detriment because eventually my whole um, gut microbiome broke down and I had, you know, a lot of different kinds of problems with my digestion. So I had to really look at, you know, what what could I eat to be okay to, you know, to just like get the nutrients that I needed. Um, but according to Ayurveda, they, they look at three principles. The three principles are rajas, tamas, and sattva. Sattva means purity or balance. So we're always looking to come into balance. And depending on your constitution, certain foods are going to be better for you than other foods. For an example, if you are an extremely fiery type and you're attracted to chilies, garlic, onion, red meat, um, anything that's kind of fiery and takes a lot of energy to digest, um, or is overly fiery, fiery and overheating you, that might not be the best thing for you to eat. So if you're living with diabetes and you have that fiery constitution, you might actually find that you have to look at the types of proteins and the types of condiments that you're using in your food in general. So what they recommend for people living with diabetes who have that fiery constitution is that rather than eating red meat, um, that you would look more towards, you know, lighter fishes like white fishes mm -hmm. or that you would, um, you know, have sort of white, whiter cheeses like um, looking at mozzarella, you know, buffalo mozzarella or ricotta cheese or, um, you know, trying to stay away from anything that's, that's too sour. Um, so it's, it's such a specific science when you're looking at that. Now the rajas means movement. It's like when you have a lot of movement in your system. So someone who's really stressed, who's really hyperactive, they have to look at the quality of the food as well. So foods that are very spicy also have a lot of rajas in them. They have a lot of movement in them. Those foods need to um, would aggravate that rajas. And that means also that you might find that you're going through more ups and downs in your diabetes management with high blood sugars and low blood sugars because of the types of foods that you're eating. Um, someone who's a little bit more kapha, who's more grounded, um, would benefit from that rajasic energy, that stimulation of garlic and chili and onion in their diet and possibly um, even, you know, a, a stimulating protein because that would sort of fire their system up more and get rid of the damp. So um, the other aspect is tamas. Tamas is inert. It's unmoving. So someone who's very heavy, very sedentary, uh, foods that are very heavy and sedentary, like heavy proteins, um, won't stimulate them enough. So a vegetarian diet might be more suited to someone like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's not a one, again, with Ayurveda, it's not one size fits all. It's so specific. And um, yeah, that's, you know, what I love exploring is, you know, how to share this information in a really easy, uh, practical way that people can apply it straight away, especially if they're living with diabetes. Great. Rachel, thank you so much uh, for your time with us today. And uh, again, uh, I wanted you to mention the name of your book and also your website and if any final thoughts you had and fill any final uh, questions that you might have for her. But the name of the book and, and your uh, website again. Okay, so the book is Yoga for Diabetes, How to Manage Your Health with Yoga and Ayurveda. Um, you can order it through Monkfish Publishing or you can go to my website, www.yogafordiabetesblog.com. 
www.thelovelyfriendshow.com. Um, and I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for having me because I just feel so passionate about my own journey with yoga, my own journey with diabetes. And um, I really want to serve and help as many people as I can to realize how easy it is to bring yoga into your life and to no matter what type of diabetes you have, no matter what age you are, no matter, you know, what your struggles are, yoga can definitely help you uh, gain more confidence in your diabetes management. Mm -hmm. Phil, any well, final points? No, I think that sums it up quite well. I, I hope that uh, people who uh, are diabetic, or I, I assume also pre-diabetic, will uh, take advantage of uh, your expertise um, and uh, look at the book and your website, and uh, I'm sure it'll be very helpful. Wait. Thanks for taking the time, Thank Rachel. Thank you, and I look forward Th to reading your book. Uh, thank you for Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.